This is Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 1. An unfriendly man pursues selfish ends. He defies all sound judgment. That's from the New International Version, Proverbs 18 and verse 1. The teachings of the Bible assume and reflect the reality and value of companionship, friendship. In next week's Reaching Greater Heights, you'll see an article about this and perhaps a follow-up the week after. Consider, would you, that every good person you read about in the Bible had good friends, even if in some cases not very many. The ones they had were good. Even in a time where there was no such thing as Facebook or social media. As you read Bible stories about people, people are interacting with each other. There is companionship. In the New Testament, there's the word fellowship having to do with Christians united together under the authority of Christ. So I ask you to consider that every good person you read about in the Bible had good friends, even if they had friends who were not good. They attempted to take them to God through Christ to be good. Companionship, friendship, all through the Bible. Jesus had friends like Peter, James, and John. He made friends with the family of Lazarus. Jesus endorsed and exemplified the value of wise friendship, good companionship. And much of what he said addresses how we relate to people. This passage in Proverbs described the isolated person as an expression of such isolation that it defies all sound judgment. But anytime we speak of friendship and the value of companionship, here's what is vital. What kind of friends will we have? What kind of friends do you want? So, very simple tonight. I have three questions for us. Three questions. Number one, do you want friends who will tell you the truth or make you feel good regardless of the truth? I want to state that again and then we'll open our Bibles. Do you want friends who will tell you the truth or make you feel good regardless of the truth? Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. An excellent biblical example on many different levels. Galatians 2, 11 to 14. It is about two men we would not expect to have any conflict or disagreement, but the fact that two men were apostles did not make them robotic or infallible. Here's the account. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. 
And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now I stopped at verse 14, but if you continue looking down through the context, Paul delivers a sermon to Peter. Peter's behavior on this occasion was hypocritical. He reacted to a situation based on an impulse rather than wisdom. So Paul confronted Peter. And I'll tell you, there's every reason to believe that Peter accepted Paul's correction because later in 2 Peter, Peter commends the wisdom of the Apostle Paul. I want friends who will not be silent when I do wrong. I want friends who will not be silent when I do wrong. I want to be able to trust my friends to take me aside when I sin and speak to me good words of rebuke because they love me. It will be a difficult moment. I may be embarrassed and maybe even at first defensive, but I hope and pray I will accept well-founded rebuke and then repent and then say a sincere word of gratitude to my friend who brought to me the justified rebuke. So, do you want friends who will tell you the truth or just make you feel good regardless of the truth? Now what kind of love is that? If people just make you feel good regardless of the truth from God about your conduct, what kind of friendship is that? To let you fall into sin, there's evidence of sin, it is obvious, and your friend just says nothing, just overlooks it. Let's determine, especially regarding our close friends, we will seek out those who are loyal to God and show allegiance to His Word, and that good companionship will cause them to speak up when our speech or our behavior betrays our promises to God. Proverbs 27, 6 speaks well to this, where it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. I don't want my friends to just take a stab at me for no reason and walk away while I'm bleeding, but I want the truth. Many years ago, in church bulletins published by brethren around the country, an article circulated written by gospel preacher Bill Cruz. And maybe you've encountered this in some of your reading. It's called, Give Me the Truth. It goes this way. If you are my friend, if you are concerned about my soul, give me the truth. Do not flatter me. Do not praise my virtues while remaining silent about my vices. 
Do not fear that the truth will offend me. Do not treasure our friendship, our friendly relations above my salvation. Do not think that by ignoring my sins you can help me. Do not think that being blind to my sins will prove yourself charitable in our relationship. However I may react to it, whatever may be my attitude toward you after you've done it, give me the truth. For the truth, and only the truth, can make me free from the shackles of sin. Strengthen me in the pathway of righteousness and lead me to the joys of heaven. Brother Cruz went on to say, if I'm wavering, weak, lukewarm, indifferent, neglectful, if I've been overtaken in a trespass, if I've been drawn into the pleasures of the world, if I've left my first love, if I've been led astray by error, or if I have done none of these but simply need to grow in knowledge and be edified, give me the truth. What kind of friends do you want? Do you want friends who will tell you the truth or make you feel good regardless of the truth? I'm going to take us next to the Old Testament into the book of Proverbs. Do you want friends who will take you to exciting places from a temporal standpoint or lead you to valuable places? Again, I'll state the question. Do you want friends who will take you to exciting places from a carnal temporal standpoint or friends who will lead you to valuable places. One of the great warnings from father to son in the book of Proverbs. And by the way, that's a preeminent platform and format in the book of Proverbs. Father to son instruction. Proverbs 5. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander. She does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. At the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed, and you say, how I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers, or incline my ear to my instructors. I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Now, some of this in Proverbs 5 and Proverbs 7 may be more graphic than people would be comfortable with. But when it comes to the tendencies and pathways that lead to ruin morally 
The writer of Proverbs was guided by God to detail the elements of the seduction and make the warnings vivid, not to attract, but to detract. This is, I think, especially directed to the young man. I picture a teenage boy, maybe, and he has this newly discovered appetite, and he's anxious to try it, but his father is warning him about what will surely take place if he lets appetite reign. The father knows the young man will see beautiful women, and some of those women will be smooth in speech, but some of them will have nothing to offer, but in the end, bitterness and ruin. And then a few pages later, in Proverbs chapter 7, the father-son instruction continues. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. So here's a young man and the father knows that he's going to be tempted to carnal pleasure that will be momentary and destructive to his moral good. It's later referred to in Proverbs 7 as an ox going to the slaughterhouse. Well, these passages in Proverbs certainly warn about sexual promiscuity, but more than that, they mark out seduction in general. They have, they have the benchmarks of temptation in general. It happens all the time that people hold out the promise <coughs> to take us to very exciting places in life. And our thoughts easily turn to the dreams and fantasies that they promise of this quick, thrilled, fantasy, exciting life. Those friends can entice us and gradually move us to places that can be very exciting in the moment, but spiritually deadly. So the young man thinks in that episode of temptation. This is going to be fun, exciting, new energy in this new experience, and it's all for me. Solomon tells of the end result down in verse 27. Her house is the way to hell. Would we need any more clarity or commentary about that? My question is, not only in the context of this particular kind of temptation, do you want friends who will take you to exciting places from a carnal temporal standpoint, or friends who will take you to valuable places? Godly people can take us to valuable places. Maybe not physical places, but greater heights in our spiritual discipline, encouraging us, your brothers and sisters can encourage you toward heaven. I think that's a valuable place. 
A spouse who is faithful to the Lord can become a powerful instrument in your spiritual growth and your efforts to think more of heavenly things. So the question for our thought is, do you want friends who will take you to exciting places from a temporal standpoint or valuable places in a spiritual way? Next question. Do you want friends who will respect your faith or oppose your faith? Now, I want to state the question again and then I want to give it some very important clarity. Do you want friends who will respect your faith or oppose your faith? Here's the clarity. Don't walk away from a friend just because they question your faith, because that's an opportunity. Don't walk away from a friend just because they question your faith, because what that is, is an opportunity. And Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3.15 to be ready to give an answer, to defend our faith and give the grounds of our hope. But there's a difference between inquiry and hostile opposition. If someone is subjecting you to pressure in the form of ridicule and insults, and they will not listen to what the book says, they will not give you opportunity to open the book and show them what you believe and what they need to do, that friendship should be carefully weighed. There comes a time when that friendship should be carefully weighed. They are resisting any teaching from the book but they're giving you tons of grief about how you're living according to the book. Illustration of this. I could not really maintain a close friendship with someone who had the habit of insulting my father. If every time I'm around this person they have something crude and ugly to say about my father, I'm going to have a really hard time. I'm going to have to weigh that friendship, that relationship. In addition to the fact that my father was a very good man, there is a natural affection and honor that we have for our parents. And when someone just repeatedly insults our parents, very difficult to maintain a close relationship. So you see, I could not maintain a close friendship with someone who spoke ill repeatedly against my father. What about my father in heaven? If someone had no interest at all, demonstrated over and over again, they had no interest in looking at what God has said, but repeatedly they simply want to insult and oppose me and insult me because of my faith, an opportunity has long passed. How do we maintain that relationship and will it be good for us to do so when compromise is right around the corner. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. This passage will actually pick up more than what I'm talking about, but certainly include what I'm talking about. 2 Timothy chapter, did I say 4? I meant 3. 2 Timothy 3. 1 through 5. But understand this. 
that in the last days will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Avoid such people. That's not ambiguous at all. When people demonstrate without remorse, without any interest in Bible study, when people demonstrate a love for themselves and an affection for pleasure other than God, Paul says, from such people turn away. Avoid such people. I don't know how you can maintain a friendship with someone while doing what Paul says should be done. From such people turn away. So the question is justified. It deserves good thought. Do you want friends who respect your faith or oppose your faith? Here's what I want in friendship. I want opportunity to talk to anybody who is living apart from God. And I want to maintain a friendship in an evangelistic context, yes. But here's what I really want in close friendships. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. I want friends who will sharpen me in those things that are right and good. And I want to be this kind of friend, exerting such an influence on my friends, I can help them do what is right. True, spiritually healthy friendship can mean so much to us in our journey on earth toward heaven. But you cannot just pick friends at random. And some friendship may reach a place where the Christian must apply what Paul said from such people turn away. Now, good friendship and encouragement is like one car giving another a battery jump start. You have an operating car and then next to it a car that's almost stalled. In that simple process of giving someone a jump, there is something relevant to good friendship. I want people who, when they see that I'm stalled, will get those cables out and give me a jump. The strength of the operative car is transferred into the weak battery of the car that's struggling so that the inoperative car can be rejuvenated to action. I tell you, I want my close friends to be people who will charge my battery, and I want to charge your battery. 
I want to help the weak and teach the lost and build up those who are struggling. I want friendships that are in the context of evangelistic opportunity. But in my close long-term friendships, I want people who operate on a level of relationship with God. And we need to be equipping ourselves to come alongside our friends and help them get started if they're stalling. So let's work on that. Think about that. Pray about that this week. Let's be standing as we sing.